Get ready for a one-of-a-kind experience. Welcome, welcome to the Starter Zone, your home for the weekly news from around the world. Your host for this journey, Amanda. At least I don't think they're sniffing the glue. She's going to bring you everything you need to hear about entertainment, gaming, and maybe just a little bit bizarre. Hold tight, because here she comes. Thank you, thank you, Raven, for that warm, warm welcome as always. Hello there, my friends. Good day to you all. Welcome back to the Starter Zone. I am your guide, Amanda, and it is time to bring you the headlines from all of the entertainment news sources. Today is September the 13th, and here are some of the headlines we will be looking at. Kanye is making waves in Italy. We say goodbye to an all-star. Rotten Tomatoes is getting roasted. Jimmy Fallon is also in some hot water. Our weekly box office breakdown and more. Get comfy, my friends. Let's get started. Well, Mr. West, a.k.a. Kanye West, is back in the news, and once again, it is not for a good reason. So Kanye West and his new bride, and I'm going to put that in quotation marks, Bianca Sensori has been making headlines during their Italian vacation this month. And I'm going to use the term bride, remember quotation marks? I'm using this in a loose sense because they haven't filed an official marriage certificate. And with all of their gallivanting through the countryside, there have been some consequences from their actions that have come to roost. West and Sensori have now been banned for life by a Venetian boat rental company following an indecent exposure scandal in Italy last week. So back on August the 28th, the couple sparked controversy really when they were spotted enjoying a very amorous moment on a water taxi in Venice with West exposing his bare buttocks in front of gawking tourists. Talk about showing your butt in public. Images of the couple showed the American rapper, who is 46, seated at the back of a river taxi while his Australian so-called bride, who's 28, placed her head in his lap, and it looked exactly like what you're thinking. Can you blow my whistle, baby? Whistle, baby, let me know. Venezia Turismo Motoscafi, which is the company that rented the boat to Weston Sensori, have since spoken exclusively to Daily Mail Australia, and they confirm the couple is no longer welcome aboard their boats. In its statement, the company did condemn the pair's body activity, while confirming that it was completely unaware what occurred on the boat until photos were made public. Yay, paparazzi. Basically, the taxi driver can't see the back of the boat action because, you know, he's busy driving the boat, trying not to crash said boat. And as well... West and Sensori have had a chaperone of sorts with them on this trip, and that chaperone stood pretty strategically between the captain and the couple blocking the view. Didn't block the cameras, though. Venezia Turismo Montescafi, they're one of the Venice's leading private navigation companies. Look, Venice is full of canals. You're going to have a whole lot of boats, right? 
So they boast a really impressive array of celebrity clientele. They have Lady Gaga, Harry Styles, Florence Pugh, Jennifer Lopez, and Ben Affleck on their client list. The ban is coming after online critics argued that Kanye's flesh-bearing display constituted public indecency, which actually is a charge that comes to, with a fine, I think if it was like 200, I'm sorry, $520 Australian. This is according to the Italian Constitutional Court. The online community, they got ruthless. Comments such as, how are these two not arrested for lewd behavior? This is just the latest in a long line of jaw-dropping, eye-popping things that they've done. West and Sensori have just been sparking fury among locals over the last month because of the odd wardrobe choices, specifically what Bianca's been wearing. She's being aimed at because she's basically been going around almost naked. And this is a very conservative Catholic country. She has stepped out on several occasions with her bare breasts very clearly visible but beneath these see-through mesh outfits and these, these whole body suits that are completely sheer. One of them, one of the most outrageous ones, was a very nude colored cat suit, which she actually had to cover her nipples with a black crossbody bag. So there are other concerned fans that have questioned whether this bizarre display is proof that the rapper is actually controlling Bianca. All right, this next part I'm about to go over is just speculation, but with it being said, I do see their concerns. The friends of Bianca Sensori have grown extremely concerned about her bizarre behavior in recent months, and they fear that the, the, the rapper is manipulating her into this radicalized version of his ex-wife, Kim Kardashian. Her behavior on the boat especially prompted grave concerns from Bianca's inner circle, who are insisting that this is not who she really is, but rather a result of Kanye's influence over her. And certainly on the surface, it appears that West's charm has worn down for Bianca. I mean, there are images of her taken during this Italian getaway, and it shows her looking kind of somber and often with her face turned down, walking behind Kanye. And it seems like her online social media presence is pretty much gone as well. Like, it's all been deleted. And I mean, I get it. You're not always going to be looking happy. And especially the press, they're not going to be really nice about sharing the really good-looking photos. They want the scandalous ones. But none of the photos that they have shown, she's happy. None of them at all. She just looks really uncomfortable. And the people that are saying that West is trying to make her a Kim clone... With side-by-side photos, I can see why they're saying that. And you know what? I'm going to link the article down below in my comment section because it's a really interesting side-by-side comparison. But for now, can somebody please get this lady a coat to cover up with? And I really hope they can stay out of trouble from here on out. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on. Go play. Hey, hey now, now he was an all-star. Well, okay, to us anyway. Steve Harwell, the good-natured co-founder and the original lead singer of the band Smash Mouth, which, you know, the late 90s California-based band that was renowned for such hits like Walking on the Sun and the perennial anthem All-Star, has passed away at his home in Boise, Idaho. The musician was in hospice care owing to multiple health conditions, and he was 56. 
Over the last decade, Harwell, he really struggled with alcohol abuse, and he also had a number of other different ailments that impacted his motor functions, his speech, his memory, and increasingly impacted his performances. I mean, back in October of 2021, after a concert in Bethel, New York, where the singer, he appeared to be intoxicated, he threatened audience members, he ended up announcing his retirement from Smash Mouth due to these ongoing health issues. He said, quote, Ever since I was a kid, I dreamed of being a rock star performing in front of sold-out arenas, and I have been so fortunate to live out that dream. To my bandmates, it's been an honor performing with you all these years, and I can't think of anyone else I would have rather gone on this wild journey with. To our loyal and amazing fans, thank you. All of this was possible because of you. I've tried so hard to power through my physical and my mental health issues, and to play in front of you one last time, I just wasn't able to, unquote. Smash Mouth had commercial success back in 1999 with their album Astro Lounge, which was eventually certified as a triple platinum album. But they really catapulted into the spotlight with the release of the movie Shrek in 2001. That movie featured All-Star along with their cover of the Monkees, I'm a Believer. And now All-Star is played everywhere, especially at sports venues and the occasional TikTok. A really sad ending to a rough life, but we wish his family peace during this time of mourning. Thank you, Mr. Harwell. We hope you're up there walking on the sun. Used to pray for a moment just like this. There's a fire in your eyes, I can't resist. I'm awake and I want to remember. All is not well in the Jonas Brothers world. So after a really crazy week, Joe Jonas has publicly addressed his impending divorce from Sophie Turner, and he did it on stage. Aside from the couple's joint statement that they posted on social media, the Jonas Brothers musician who filed for divorce last week has been pretty tight-lipped about the details of his split from the former Game of Thrones star. But during the band's concert at Los Angeles Dodger Stadium on the 9th of September, the singer opened up about the news before a crowd of fans. Right before launching into their song Hesitate, which was inspired by his relationship with Turner, Joe Jonas told the audience, which it did include Entertainment Weekly reporters, by the way, quote, it's been a crazy week, unquote. And now I'm going to drop the link before if you actually want to see what he did. Uh, but the, the audio in the clip that I found, it just it wasn't super clear because it was recorded by somebody on their cell phone. I mean, and also he's in Dodger Stadium. He's on a hot mic and a bunch of women are screaming in the audience. But I'll drop the link. But what he also said was, I just want to say, look, if you don't hear it from these lips, don't believe it. OK, thank you, everyone, for your love and support. Me and my family love you guys, unquote. Which, honestly, okay, that's a very smart statement. Not getting information directly from a source and finding out later that it wasn't true, it can be pretty embarrassing. Jonas's comments came a few days after he had filed from the divorce with documents stating the marriage between the parties is irretrievably broken. Well, that's going to spur some rumors. The couple was married about four years ago, and they have two daughters together. They purchased a home in Miami back in 2022, but they sold the property earlier this year, which started even more rumors. But to officially announce the news, Turner and Jonas released a joint statement on their respective social media accounts, reading, After four wonderful years of marriage, we have decided 
mutually to amicably end our marriage. Acknowledging various rumors about it, they went on to add, there are many speculative narratives as to why, but truly this is a united decision and we sincerely hope that everyone can respect our wishes for privacy for us and our children. Following his onstage message to the fans, Jonas performed the group's emotional ballad Hesitate, a love song he penned for Turner right ahead of their 2019 wedding. Here's a snippet from that song. Lay it on me all you hold, hold, hold it tight. Time only heals if we work through it now. And I promise we'll figure this out. I don't know about you, but I thought that was actually a pretty mature way of handling, dealing with a lot of the rumors and basically saying, you know, just wait for an official statement from me. There currently have been no further comments from Turner, but honestly, I mean, it's their business, it's their privacy, so I'm not going to expect to hear anything any further, but, ah, well, you know, that's not going to stop the rumor mill. Good news, gamers. Apparently, video gaming can actually save lives. A California man has credited the new game Starfield with saving his family's life after a fire ripped through his apartment block during a late-night gaming binge. The Redditor by the name of Tidy Seekilla said, Starfield saved me and my family's life in a post that described how an all-night gaming session back on August the 31st, the day before the Starfield early access began, meant he was awake and alert to respond to a fire. Tidy C. Killa said, I have waited for this game since the trademark rumors of 2015 to 2016 don't remember when exactly. In anticipation, I pre-ordered the premium edition waiting to play this game. So on the night of August the 31st, I decided to stay up and play as long as possible to experience this new universe. Well, at 2.26 in the morning while playing, I heard an explosion from my downstairs neighbor's apartment. I paused my game to see what was happening, and when I opened the door, I saw flames rising up the stairwell to our apartment. I immediately got my wife and my cat rushing us to safety with only minor burns. If I hadn't been up binging Starfield, I would have been asleep, and we would have all have died to smoke inhalation. I do want to thank this game for saving my family and me from a horrible fate, unquote. Tidy C. Killa also published a number of photos of the incident, which took place in the city of Chico in Northern California. According to local news, KRCR-TV, one person did pass following the fire at the Sheridan Manor apartment, with three other people trapped in a bedroom on the second floor that were rescued via a ladder. The cause is still currently under investigation, and we're very sorry to hear about the fatality, but I'm very glad the rest of, of the people made it out. Now, in a separate post on Reddit, Tidy C. Killa said he and his family plan to move to Nevada following the incident, which has uh, accelerated prior plans. If that's moving up, then I'm moving out. All in all, probably a good decision, so safe travels, guys. Oh, the crimes involving Pokemon cards have just really become all too common. And there have been numerous instances of people being robbed of their cards and sometimes even at gunpoint. 
And it's not exclusive to Pokemon cards. I mean, Magic the Gathering had a massive theft at the Trading Card Game Expo a little while back, and that was, you know, several thousands of dollars worth of cards that disappeared. But this latest story is kind of one of the wildest that I've read. September the 5th at 2.30 in the morning, police in Alberta, Canada, spotted a red Mazda SUV driving without its lights on and soon discovered that the car had been stolen. A chase then followed, with the vehicle even nearly coming to a head-on collision with officers, while the men inside threw stolen Pokemon cards and drugs out the window. Constable Bonnie Suave of the Cochrane RCMP said that officers had to take action. The stolen car was putting members of the public at risk. She said the vehicle was driving quite dangerously, endangering the public, and almost caused a head-on collision with police, so officers were given permission to deploy a tire deflation device. All right, men, you heard him. Code red, repeat. We are in code red. Recon plan, Charlie. Execute. Let's move, 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 move. All right, well, once the tire deflation device stopped the car, one of the male suspects inside tried to make a run for it. Never a good idea. Resisted arrest, but officers were able to bust him. So as this was going on, the driver tried to play GTA in real life by trying to get away. Drove off, but the car was so damaged by the device, he ended up crashing into a fence. He was apprehended shortly thereafter with no civilians being hurt, thankfully. Inside the car, police found more drugs and stolen tools. So as for the Pokemon cards, the police say, sorry, that some dealers pay each other with them. Wait, what? I said the same thing. Poker cards are now currency? What kind of dystopian world are we in? The two suspects remanded into custody are in their 40s, Derek McInnes and Jason Wilkening. McInnes is charged with possession of property obtained by crime over $5,000, possession for the purpose of trafficking, resisting a police officer, and flight from a police officer. Wilkening, meanwhile, had a Canada-wide warrant and has been charged with possession of property obtained by crime over $5,000, possession for the purpose of trafficking and flight from a police officer. You know, I never thought that polka cards were going to be the currency of the future. I truly thought we were just going to start collecting bottle caps. So this next story may come as a surprise to some people, or it might not. While film and television reviews aggregator Rotten Tomatoes has come under scrutiny by filmmakers such as Martin Scorsese before, there's a new report out that's doubling down on why consumers may want to think twice before taking a recommendation from this website. There was an in-depth report that was published back on September the 7th by Vulture, and they uncovered a scheme from a PR firm called Bunker 15 to kind of boost reviews for the 2018 Daisy Ridley drama Ophelia. The initial reviews had come in, and it was resulting in a really disappointing 46% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. By their scale, a movie is deemed rotten if it falls short of a 60% rating. So Vulture reported that Bunker 15 started paying these lower-level critics on the website to post positive reviews for like $50 a pop, essentially manipulating the system. The firm also lobbied one critic to change their negative review to a positive. And as it turned out, it worked, and the money followed. Ophelia jumped to a 62% rating, scoring that coveted fresh label, and the next month, 
IFC Films announced that it had acquired the film for distribution. Bunker 15, for its part, has denied the allegations, and founder Daniel Harlow told Vulture, We have thousands of writers on our distribution list. A small handful have set up a specific system where filmmakers can sponsor or pay to have them review a film. So, you know, understandably, many people reacted to this report with like a mixture of disbelief and sadness over how could this happen? Are you kidding me? (laughs) No kidding. And although Rotten Tomatoes told Vulture that it takes, quote, the integrity of our scores seriously and does not tolerate any attempts to manipulate them, it's a pretty alarming example of how easily some critic aggregators like Rotten Tomatoes can be manipulated especially if there's a financial incentive to do so. Now, to be clear, Rotten Tomatoes and other critic aggregators like Metacritic aren't to blame for the reviews themselves, but a fresh or rotten label can be extremely important for a film, meaning it's really easy to see why this sort of thing could and apparently does happen. What this new report is shedding light on is how easily that system can be manipulated. Filmmaker Paul Schrader puts it just a little more bluntly later in this Vulture report. Quote, the studios did not invent Rotten Tomatoes, and most of them don't like it. But the system is broken. Audiences are dumber. Normal people don't go through reviews like they used to. Rotten Tomatoes is something the studios can game, so they do. Nothing here is fake. Nothing you see on this show is fake. It's merely controlled. To be honest, I'm not completely surprised by this report. There's been allegations of, for lack of a better term, critic tampering for quite some time, especially when you see a review from a critic where it just, it either doesn't seem like they actually watched the movie or at least watched the same version that everybody else saw, or they're just that completely out of touch. So they'll give an awesome score to this, you know, beautiful masterpiece of a movie and then the general public will go see it and it's like, well, this is crap. Or vice versa, you know, they'll say, oh, this movie's terrible, but the general audience just want mindless entertainment, and they don't want these meaningful movies. They just want to go and relax for a little while. So I'm not super shocked that, you know, the scores can be, could be manipulated. Not every movie's going to be. It's all going to just boil down to this. Is anything going to come of this report? To be honest, I don't think so. We didn't know that it had had, that the, the reviews specifically for Ophelia had been manipulated, and this was in 2018. We're talking five years ago. I just don't see anything changing because I think it's still happening, but that's just pure speculation on my part, my personal opinion, not accusing anybody of manipulating, but I just think it's happening, and I don't think it's going to change. They just make it a little sneakier about it, but I could be wrong. Something may change, but I doubt it. The world of late-night television is turning on its head following claims that Jimmy Fallon, the Tonight Show's seemingly bubbly host, actually fuels a pretty toxic work environment. The news broke in an in-depth story on Rolling Stone, and it featured accounts from two current and 14 former employees of the popular NBC talk show. One employee was quoted as saying, It's a bummer because it was my dream job. Writing for late night is a lot of people's dream jobs, and they're coming into this, and it becomes a nightmare very quickly. It's sad that it's like that, especially knowing that it doesn't have to be that way, unquote. Employees agreed that there were good Jimmy days, where the celebrity figure 
you know, turns on the charm for the audience. And bad Jimmy days, where his fun-loving facade appears to falter. At his worst, employees said that they were fearful of Fallon's erratic outburst, which they described as lashing out at the crew and belittling fellow staff members for just minor inconveniences. All of the employees who were interviewed opted to remain anonymous for fear of retaliation. Well, that's not good. One employee revealed, former employee revealed, it was like, if Jimmy's in a bad mood, everybody's day is screwed. People wouldn't joke around in the office. They wouldn't stand around. They wouldn't talk to each other. It was very much like, focus on whatever it is you have to do because Jimmy's in a bad mood. And if he sees that, he might fly off. So one example of the bad behavior that was provided by two of the employees happened when the late night host reprimanded pretty heavily a crew member who was in charge of his cue cards. And this happened during a taping with actor-comedian Jerry Seinfeld. An employee described the moment as extremely awkward and volatile and explained that it was omitted from the episode as it aired. Two other employees claimed they smelled alcohol on Fallon's breath on several occasions, but one happened in 2019 and one happened in 2020. Now, as a result, Fallon's behavior has just taken this drastic toll on the mental health of his staff. Seven of these staff members said it was typical to hear fellow workers talk about wanting to kill themselves while walking around the set or even just to find a staffer finding an empty guest dressing room and use it as a a so-called safe space to just process what was going on. Four employees said their time on the show led them to seek out therapy, while three others admitted they really did actually contemplate suicide due to the working conditions. I I don't like my job, and uh, I don't think I'm going to go anymore. You're just not going to go? Yeah. Won't you get fired? I don't know. But I really don't like it, and uh, I'm not going to go. And that's exactly what a lot of them ended up doing. As a result of the Rolling Stone report, according to Variety, Jimmy Fallon has reportedly apologized to Tonight Show staffers. He said, quote, It's embarrassing, and I feel so bad. I'm sorry if I embarrassed you and your family and friends. I feel so bad I can't even tell you. I want this show to be fun. It should be inclusive for everybody. It should be funny. It should be the best show, the best people. This was included in a brief Zoom call he had made to staffers. The Tonight Show has been off the air since the writer's strike began back in May. But before it returns to the screen, employees are saying that they hope Fallon and NBC are held accountable for this alleged mistreatment of staffers, past and present. I mean, look, he did apologize, but some staffers, they say that's not enough. After all, actions do speak louder than words. Time to nut up or shut up. Mr. Fallon, I do believe that is your cue. Actor Danny Masterson was one of the stars of the TV series That 70s Show. He played the character of Stephen Hyde. But during the airing of that show in the early 2000s, Masterson apparently was busy elsewhere, sexually assaulting at least two women. At least? Well, let me explain a little further. Masterson was found guilty in May 
at a retrial after the first jury was unable to reach a verdict in 2022. And following his rape conviction, Masterson was deemed a flight risk and was taken into prison custody. The actor was convicted after three women testified that he had sexually assaulted them at his Hollywood home from 2001 to 2003, which just happened to be during the height of his television fame. The jury heard testimony that he had given them drugs before assaulting them. He was found guilty of rape against two of the three accusers. The charges brought by the third accuser, that was declared a mistrial. Prosecutors said they don't plan on retrying the case. Throughout the trial, prosecutors argued that the Church of Scientology had actually helped to cover up the assaults, which, and of course, those allegations, the organization has absolutely denied. At the time of the attacks, Masterson and all three of his accusers were Scientologists, and several of the women said it took them years to come forward because church officials discouraged them from reporting the assaults to police. Masterson was first accused of rape back in 2017, which was during the height of the Me Too movement. But of course, he denied the accusations and said each of the encounters was all consensual. Well, charges came after a three-year investigation by the L.A. Police Department. But prosecutors didn't file charges in two other cases because, well, they had insufficient evidence and there was a statute of limitations that was expiring. But now after all of that, Masterson has been sentenced to serve 30 years to life in prison. And as the judge read his sentence, which is actually the maximum penalty allowed, his wife, Bijou Phillips, was seen in court breaking down into tears. Letters written to the judge pleading for leniency for Masterson were actually soon published. Deborah Jo Rupp and Kurtwood Smith were two of his co-stars from the show and praised their interactions with him while working together. And shockingly, former co-stars Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher also pleaded for leniency, saying that they don't believe he's an ongoing harm to society. This revelation prompted massive, massive backlash. Kunis and Kutcher defended their letters in support of Masterson in a recorded statement posted to their Instagram on September the 9th. Let's have a little bit of a listen. We are aware of the pain that has been caused by the character letters that we wrote on behalf of Danny Masterson. We support victims. We have done this historically through our work and will continue to do so in the future. A couple months ago, Danny's family reached out to us and they asked us to write character letters to represent the person that we knew for 25 years so that the judge could take that into full consideration relative to the sentencing. The letters were not written to question the legitimacy of the judicial system or the validity of the jury's ruling. They were intended for the judge to read um, and not to undermine the testimony of the victims or re-traumatize them in any way. We would never want to do that. And we're sorry if that has taken place. Our heart goes out to every single person who's ever been a victim of sexual assault, sexual abuse, or rape. Interesting and powerful statements, both from the couple, but why is it shocking? Well, the reason is that Kutcher is very well known for being a philanthropist in his efforts to combat sex trafficking. So to hear of him writing for leniency for a convicted sexual offender 
is a little bit jaw-dropping. I mean, I understand they have a long history, but it just it just doesn't feel right. And I understand they said, we did this on behalf of his family. It still just doesn't sit right, at least for me. I mean, other people will agree with the fact that it just it felt weird. It felt forced. It just didn't it didn't feel natural. And the statement was a little to me, it felt a little wooden. And I mean, obviously it was pre-written, but it just didn't feel as heartfelt. It felt like we kind of felt like we had to do this. So, you know, we're sorry anybody was offended. I, I don't know. I'm I'm having a little bit of a hard time for it. But anywho. Interestingly absent from all the letters of support was actually from another former co-star, Topher Grace. Topher left the series early in 2005, and at the time that he left, he was criticized for leaving. Gossip sparked as to why he just didn't seem close with his co-stars. And the rumors came back during the trial of Masterson. One ex-Twitter user wrote, for years, Topher Grace was depicted like he was a stuck-up a-hole for not being besties with the rest of that 70s show cast, but guess who didn't write a letter in defense of a rapist this year? So Grace himself hasn't publicly commented on Masterson's sentencing, but his wife, Ashley Hinshaw, posted an Instagram story that appeared to reference the news of the sentence. It read, quote, to every rape victim that is re-traumatized by witnessing society debate and focus their attention on what is going to happen to the rapist, I see you, unquote. Very strong words of support for that one, for sure. So, yeah, definitely a lot of fans disappointed in Kutcher and Kunis for their support of Masterson. But, I mean, like I said, they've been friends for, what, 20 years? So, for some people, it's hard to dismiss that, to just completely dismiss that kind of connection. Especially if Masterson really has changed. I mean, who are, are we really the same people we were 20 years ago? Well, we may never really know. I am going to be curious if he does go to jail. I mean, everything is pointing that he's going and how long he's going to stay. Um, it's being said he can get paroled in 20 years. So it really just all remains to be seen. It is just a very interesting, I don't want to call it a war, but... There's definitely a lot of picking sides when it comes to this. I've seen uh, posts from Christina Ricci, and I've seen just a couple of others. And I apologize, I can't think them off the top of my head, but a lot of different opinions, a lot of criticism for the former 70s show cast for supporting him. But a lot of people, yeah, it's hard to break those friendships. And a lot of people, like, it doesn't matter if they're friends or not, they're still a horrible person uh, for doing this to people. So, that's the current status of the ongoing Danny Masterson saga. Uh, with this sentencing, it almost seems like the door is closing on the tail. But I think there's going to be a little bit more, especially with how divisive the fan base is right now. Oh, I'm going to look and I'm going to update you as more information comes out and uh, when Mr. Masterson is remanded to jail. I'm not sure you guys are ready for this story, but uh, here we go. So the annual U.S. Open Tennis Tournament, it's always an entertaining spectacle to watch. But this year had a kind of a, a really weird disruption. September 7th at about 8.05 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, local police were informed about disorderly individuals inside of Arthur Ashe Stadium where the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament was taking place. 
So the match in question was between Coco Gauff of the U.S. and Karolina Mukova of Czechia. And it was delayed like nearly 50 minutes. Both players just took their seat during this delay. Play ended up resuming after the protesters were removed and Coco would go on to advance to the finals and eventually win. There were four protesters in all, according to the U.S. Tennis Association, and they said this in a statement. Three were removed and escorted out of the stadium, while the fourth, sorry, um, quote, affixed their bare feet to the floor of the seating bowl. Affixed means glued in this case. Stuck on you, whoa, whoa, stuck like glue. You and me, baby, we're stuck like glue. A man by the name of Sayak Mukhopadhyaya, 50 years old, of White Plains, New York, was charged with criminal trespass and disorderly conduct, while Gregory Schwedock, 35, of New York City, was charged with criminal trespass. Extinction Rebellion is an activist group, an environmental activist group, and they took credit for this protest using the slogan, No Tennis on a Dead Planet, to call for an end to fossil fuels. Mokopadaya told NBC News that he glued his feet to the ground to, quote, achieve a significant and sustained disruption that's going to make people stop and think that business as usual cannot continue, unquote. There is no tennis on a dead planet. There is no art on a dead planet. Everything that we take for granted as our way of life will cease to exist. Well, the protest at the tennis tournament follows several protests by these environmental activist groups, including one where protesters recently blocked the route to the Burning Man Festival in Nevada. Uh, there was one that they glued themselves to the track and a Formula E racing event, which is a an electric uh, car race, an electric car race. Uh, that didn't end well for those protesters either. I think they, one of them had to be taken to the hospital. Um, there have been several that have, gluing seems to be a common theme here. I mean, in others, they've been very destructive in that they've staged protests that are targeting famous works of art, splashing paint, and so on and so forth. I kind of like this one, You know, I knew that art protest did come across kind of familiar. It was a little jokerish, wasn't it? Good catch, Raven. Honestly, these groups, they're getting our attention for sure, but I'm not 100% sure they're really getting out the message they wanted to. It's time for the box office breakdown. Well, looking at the numbers here, I think we can finally say it's official. The Pink Throne is no more at the box office. Okay, so before I go over the box office numbers, I want to give a really big, huge amount of credit to Marco Beltrami, the composer for The Nun 2, because that theme song is so creepy to listen to in your headset. Anywho, last week, Equalizer 3 took the top spot. But this week, Denzel Washington was no match for the Sinister Sister. The Nun 2 took the box office top spot 
earning a really good and scary $32.6 million this weekend, which was more than enough to take out Sony's Equalizer 3, which features Washington as a mysterious avenging angel. The Equalizer 3 took in $12.1 million in its second weekend to push its domestic gross to about $61.9. Now, as impressive as it is, The Nun 2, it's the ninth chapter in Warner Brothers' ongoing Conjuring series, but it couldn't match the high watermark set by the predecessor of 2018's The Nun. That opened to $53.8 million. This film sees Taisa Farmiga and Bonnie Ahrens returning as Sister Irene and the titular nun, respectively. My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3, the weekend's other new wide release, opened in third place, took in $10 million. The film was written and directed by Nia Vardalos, who also stars alongside John Corbett for the third time. The third chapter in this comedy series features the eccentric family as they travel to Greece for a family reunion. Jawan, which is an in Indian Hindu language action thriller, actually took fourth place with $6.2 million. Well, where's Barbie? Fifth place, rounded out the top five, grossing $5.9. This comedy dominated the box office for the summer and brings a domestic total to a very flashy pink $620.5 million. All in all, I'd say not a bad end to the summer box office. And now for something different. Well, it appears that a concerned onlooker in Lincolnshire, England, took corpse pose a little bit too literally. According to a Facebook post by the Seascape Cafe at the Observatory, which is a cafe that's also a community space, so art gallery, exercise studio and such, Police rushed to the business shortly after a yoga class wrapped up on September the 6th at about 9.30 p.m. Because a concerned passerby mistook the final resting position that the entire class was participating in for a mass killing. Not kidding. In yoga, the final resting pose is known as the corpse pose or the shavasana. And it typically occurs at the end of the class. So in People basically, they just lie on their backs, eyes are closed, and it is done in order to sink into this meditative state. Just relax and let everything go. All right, so picture this. We've got a dark room, dark classroom. It's lit only with candles, and there's an individual sitting in this flowing top, and they're banging on this shamanic drum for like 30 minutes while surrounded by seven prone bodies. Pretty atmospheric, really kind of actually sounds relaxing. But to the uninitiated, it can also be creepy. Millie Laws, who has taught this yoga class for quite some time, she went into more details about the incident with the Washington Post. And Millie told the Post that the seven students were just lying on their backs. It took about 30 minutes, and she was banging on this drum. They had had like an hour and a half class. And she told the newspaper that, she was wearing this really flowy top. It may have resembled a robe to just passerbys. So she noticed this couple outside the studio walking their dog. And they peered through the window. And for them, it could have been a very bewildering scene. She told the Post, quote, The couple reported to the police that they had seen somebody walking around in a room lit with candles and what looked like dead people lying all over the floor. The couple thought it was some sort of 
ritualistic mass killing, unquote. Now, Millie also added to the post that the class had already ended by the time that the police officers shown up and the students experienced this lovely relaxation session with no interruptions, thankfully. The cafe also got involved and thanked the police on Facebook for their prompt response. Please disperse. Nothing to see here, please. Thankfully, there was nothing to see. I mean, can you imagine just walking down the street, walking your dog, and you look inside a window, and you just see, like, this creepy scene out of some horror movie? That would have just been traumatizing, but thankfully, just a yoga class. Which I guess to some people is traumatizing enough on their own, but you know, teach their own. There once was a ship that put to sea, and the name of the ship was the Billy O.T. The winds blew harder, bowed it down below, my bully boys blow. Well, fourth time was not the charm for one Florida man. Reza Ray Bellucci is a marathon runner who for years has really just tried pushing boundaries. Well, his latest stunt, he was arrested 70, 70 miles offshore while trying to run in a floating bubble, hamster wheel-like vessel from Florida to England. However, this is not the first time that he has attempted this feat. The Daredevil has attempted similar trips in the same kind of, it's called a hydropod vessel, I guess, and he did this in 2014, 2016, and 2021 which were all cut short with the U.S. Coast Guard rescuing him. Only this time after his interception on August the 26th off the coast of Tibby Island, Georgia, he threatened to kill himself if anyone tried removing him from the pot and displayed a 12-inch knife. All right, that was day one. Day two, the Coast Guard crew on a small boat tried getting Bellucci off of his homemade craft again and were met with two knives this time, and a warning from the man that he would blow himself up, which the Coast Guard officials took as a very serious threat because he was reported to have been holding wires in his hand. So a Navy Explosive Ordnance Disposal Unit was contacted about the alleged bomb. It's a bomb! What? Now welcome to day three, and another Coast Guard cutter arrives offering food along with a warning about the approach of Hurricane Idalia. Bellucci then admitted there was no bomb to the authorities. August 29th, day four since being contacted, the marathon runner was removed from his hydro vessel and was taken to the U.S. Coast Guard base in Miami, where he was then charged in a court hearing of obstruction of boarding and violation of a captain of the port order. His bond was set for... $250,000 with an arrangement scheduled September the 15th. But something tells me, despite all of this, this is not going to be the last time that we hear about Mr. Bellucci and his hydro hamster wheel. Maybe, just maybe, fifth time will be the charm. But he might want to reconsider his calendar next time he tries this. I mean, we are in prime hurricane season, so maybe earlier in the year would be a better time to try this. I don't know. I'm not a marathon runner in a hamster wheel. Kanye just can't seem to stay out of trouble. We had a Jonas brother dealing with a very public breakup. Pokemon cards are currency now. Rotten Tomatoes got kind of rotten. 
We had some glue at the U.S. Open and, well, another attempt to cross the Atlantic going awry. I think we covered just about everything for the moment. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. I do want to remind you, I include all of the links to all of my sources in the comments so you can see what I see and more. Also, don't forget to drop a comment or send us an email if there's a story you want us to cover. Join us next time as we check out the latest in entertainment news. Remember, stay comfy in the starter zone. This is Amanda. Good luck and have fun. Listening to the Starter Zone with Amanda. I am Raven. We thank you for your time and support. Without you, we simply would not be. Please hit that like and subscribe button and visit us on Facebook and Twitter at The Starter Zone. Have we missed something? Have something to say? Leave us a comment or send us audio clips for your chance to be on the show. We invite you to come back for more exciting news and commentary on the world around you. See you next time in The Starter Zone.